ESPN has been absolutely crushing it with the 30 for 30s the past few months. I've always been a fan, but I feel like they've really stepped up their game with the Bulls, the last dance, Lance about Lance Armstrong, McGuire Sosa, the 30 for 30, long gone summer. This is no exception. They have a podcast series on U.S. gymnastics. Joining us is ESPN senior writer Bonnie Ford. Bonnie, wow. How are you? I'm great, Pete, and just want to mention it's a pleasure to be on. I spent eight great years in Chicago with the Chicago Tribune back in the 90s and early 2000s, so I still have a super soft spot for Chicago. I love that. Well, let's talk about this podcast. Wow, did you put something great together. The biggest sex abuse scandal in the history of Olympic sports involved former Olympic doctor Larry Nasser, who pleaded guilty to criminal sexual conduct and uh, other charges. He'll spend the rest of his life behind bars. How did the U.S. Olympic Committee not know this was going on? Well, first, I want to really pay tribute to uh, our whole team. This took a lot of effort over the last year with my reporting partner, Alyssa Roenick, with our whole 30 for 30 production team. And our goal from the start, Pete, was to put a lens on the Corollis. After the Nasser case and its scope and its just horrific nature became clear to all of us, the coverage for the first few years very understandably focused on that. And there was speculation and sort of, you know, can we connect dots and who's responsible uh, elsewhere in the establishment? And we thought this would be a good time. At the time, of course, we thought the Tokyo Olympics would be happening just about now. Right. But we thought it would be a good time to step back and look at accountability and responsibility. And, of course, um, the Corollis ran the U.S. program for 16 years and before that were personal coaches to many of the top Olympic athletes. So the question of knowledge is a tough one. Uh, Larry Nasser was a great con man, and many of the gymnasts themselves, many of their parents, many of their personal coaches were unaware uh, that this was happening or that it should be characterized as sexual abuse. Uh, On the other hand, there were some red flags that should have been seen. There were specific um, allegations made that should have been investigated far more aggressively when, when they were made. And so there's a lot of blame to go around. The uh, the Crowleys are legends in gymnastics. Let me remind people, they train Nadia Kamanichi, Mary Lou Retton, Carrie Strug. Nadia Kamanichi, of course, had the perfect 10. Then they defected to the U.S. Was it the Crowleys? Was it Nadia? How many people defected? Uh, the Corollis and Nadia and the rest of the Romanian national team were on an exhibition tour, like a show tour oh, in March right. of 1981. And uh, the Corollis and their choreographer, Geza Pozar, defected in New York in March of 81. The team, including Nadia, flew back to Romania, and uh, Nadia and several of her teammates would later make their way to the United States, but not for many, many years until after the Corollis. Okay, well, Bella and Marta Caroli, how could they not have known? Because you think of the biggest names in gymnastics, Michaela Maroney, Allie Raisman, Simone Biles, they all said they were violated at their ranch by Larry Nasser. Gymnasts after gymnasts, Bonnie, I mean, this went on for decades. How did they not know? I think I'll pivot the question a little bit to the way that the gymnasts and survivors themselves have answered it for us, which was... The gymnasts feel that whether or not they had explicit knowledge that they had responsibility, that they should have been more attentive, to say the least, to 
Larry Nasser's ability to treat these girls and women at all hours in their lodgings at the ranch or in hotel rooms on the road at competitions. There's a general feeling of neglect in oversight and of abdication of responsibility rather than, you know, any sort of allegation that they were standing there at the time. Um, we don't, we not, did not hear that from any gymnasts or parents. But as several gymnasts pose in the podcast, you know, the question is, whose responsibility were we? If we weren't your responsibility when we were on your property, right. and you say we were USA Gymnastics' responsibility, but you were working for USA Gymnastics, it's, it's a circle game that, you know, ends up nowhere. And uh, the survivors, and even those who did not, um, were not sexually abused, but who stand behind the survivors, all want more accountability, more public um, admission of responsibility from the Crowleys and from USA Gymnastics. Right, and it makes us think, as parents, we need safety measures in place and we need to pay attention. We're talking with Bonnie Ford, senior writer at ESPN. Now, the Crowley Ranch is empty. They have a, a huge ranch in this area that's a very remote, no cell phone service. It seems a little sketchy, but I guess their argument is they had to get them ready for the Olympics. This is the best of the best. It was kind of like the Army. They bring them to this ranch, they break them down, and they build up their confidence. Is that right? That's about right, and it was a highly unusual arrangement. I will say that for the first few generations of Caroli gymnasts in the late 80s and early 90s, the ranch was a little bit different. It was kind of a funky, rustic place. Um, They had freedom to roam around and ride four-wheelers, and they do not have the same kind of um, ominous and and horrible memories that later generations of gymnasts do. And the, the turning point seemed to be when Bella Crowley took over the national team program in 1999-2000 and made these camps mandatory and, and had these gymnasts and their personal coaches from their hometowns coming down a few days a week. That's when the intensity and the sense of isolation really ratcheted up for these athletes. And many of them boarded planes with a lot of dread. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, the Corollis argument is that they wanted to mimic the intensity of the competition. That's why they did it. But when you dig deep, and this is such a disturbing story, when you dig deep, they just wanted to win the Olympic gold. They wanted to go to the Olympics to represent their country. But this was a culture of these young women starving themselves, limiting calories, just getting beat down. And then you had Larry Nasser, who was this predator that gained their trust before he hurt them. It was fertile ground for Nasser. And I want to add that these issues, while they have become starkly apparent in gymnastics, these issues, particularly with younger athletes and particularly with younger female athletes, cut across sport. Uh, emotional, physical abuse, this idea that, that uh, great athletes have to be sort of stripped down and then built back up, that is not unique to gymnastics, and it's an issue in all youth sport. And this is just, as I said, the starkest example of it. Now, the Corollis and the program got results. These gymnasts, and I've, I have to tell you, I mean, I, I do still admire the, their amazing talent. Um, 
it's hard to watch some of these past performances and know what was going on behind the scenes, but that shouldn't take away from the brilliance and strength of these girls and women. Agreed. It's just that they were, you know, almost too strong for their own good. They yeah. took more than they should have, and are many of them are paying a big price for that in adulthood. And you speak to many of these women in this podcast. What uh, stood out to you? What kind of shocked you? Uh, their strength. I mean, I don't know if that's a shock or not, but just the, how um, amazingly strong and articulate they are and how much they want to prevent this from happening in the future. I mean, these are very, very difficult and dark things to talk about. Right. And Alyssa and I are so grateful that people trusted us with their stories. And as well, people who did not, again, have the same kind of horrific uh, experiences but wanted to stand with the survivors and wanted to stand behind the idea of a more positive coaching culture. We needed all of them to put this story together, and we're just so incredibly appreciative that they put their confidence in us and didn't want to just, you know, sort of put this in a box and put it behind them. Well, these women are so courageous. I've seen uh, interview after interview, and you go very in-depth. Bonnie Ford on the phone with us, CSPN senior writer. Tell me about Simone Biles. She seems like a very strong woman. She's been very outspoken throughout this process. What was she like? Simone Biles and her mother, Nellie, sat down with us very late in our interview process. And again, so appreciative that they would share their experience. Simone is, aside from being uh, the greatest of all time, that's hardly disputed now, had the greatest support system of all time. That wasn't my phrase. It was a phrase from uh, longtime UCLA coach Val Condos Field, who said, as did others we spoke to, that Simone's parents and family and her personal coaches helped her navigate this rigid national team system, pushed back, gave Simone space to be herself. And that is why you see not only the incredibly accomplished athlete that you see today, but an athlete who is using her voice in many ways Mm -hmm. um, to argue and advocate for a better system and a better model for herself and future gymnasts. Boy, talk about a woman that is still always happy. Everything that she's been through, she is so happy, but the confidence when she speaks, it's like Simone Biles. Wow, we listen. She is a a small person physically and a huge person culturully. Um, Honestly, she, I am awed by her and it it is thrilling to see someone sort of come into their own. It's also a lot of pressure. And, um, you know, we've seen Simone uh, speak very emotionally about this. So let's not forget that it's, this doesn't come easily to her. No. Um, and she is doing it on behalf of others as well as herself. I, I just feel as if the way I think about Simone is that she is a person, an athlete, a celebrity, an advocate who is completely comfortable in her own skin. And that's really wonderful to see. Well said. You know, over 100 gymnasts and their families have filed suit. Uh, against Nasser and the United States Olympic Committee, Michigan State. Are the Carolis in this suit? I'm sure they are. The Carolis have been named as individual defendants in a number of civil suits, not all. But all of these lawsuits are on hold right now, Pete, because uh, the bankruptcy proceedings uh, have dragged on against, or excuse me, the bankruptcy case that uh, involves USA Gymnastics uh, is still ongoing. Of course, everything has slowed down due to the pandemic. All court right. businesses, not the wheels of justice are even slower than usual. So 
um, until that bankruptcy case is resolved, all other lawsuits involving uh, USAG uh, and the USOC and Corollis are uh, stayed. They're on hold. So we're not going to see any resolution to that for an indefinite period. I forgot about the bankruptcy. Remind me about that, Bonnie, because if they file for bankruptcy, of course, there's no money to dish out in the lawsuits. That's right. And there's a lot of um, motions flying back and forth. Still, there was a settlement offer put on the table by USAG that became public that was not at all pleasing to the vast majority of the survivors. So uh, it's it's going to drag on for a while longer. And without weighing in on the merits of anybody's case right now, it's just a shame that closure for everyone is going to be delayed further. Wow. And the longer they drag it on, the longer that these women have to see it in print and hear about it and see it on the Internet. It's just rough stuff for them. It is. And, you know, again, going back to Simone, she has said that it's, mm-hmm. uh, she's still an active athlete. She, although she doesn't know when she's going to compete again, none of us do. She is training. You can see she's posted a couple videos with just absolutely phenomenal skills that she's practicing in the gym. And training, even when you don't know when your next competition is going to be, is intense and tough. And for her to take time and effort and put emotion into uh, speaking out on these issues is really remarkable. Bonnie, thank you so much. I mean, uh, ESPN has really stepped up their game, and this is no exception. Bonnie Ford from ESPN, where can people find the podcast? At 30for30podcast.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And if I could just add, we are so fortunate, Alyssa and I, to work for an organization that put these kind of resources into a very challenging story, allowed us to work on it for a year. Uh, We are very, very lucky in this time when so many media organizations are shrinking. Right. So just had to add that. Bonnie, I love it. Thank you for coming on. Continued success. Thanks so much, Pete. That's Bonnie Ford, everybody. That's awful. But I would say, even if they have big names or they have no names, any child who was violated by Nassar, it's a crime and it's so sad 